Well, good morning. How we doing? Awesome, man. I'm excited to be here. I don't know if this stage is ready to hold me yet, so um, I know Dallas and Jeremy are a little bit skinnier than I am, so I'm going to not test it and stay down here. I don't know. Do they usually do that? Okay, all right, so I feel normal. Um, but my name's Billy, as Dallas was saying. Uh, I get the privilege of pastoring our uh, Vidalia campus, uh, not too far from you guys. Um, I've driven through Millen uh, a, a long time. I, my wife was in school down at the medical college to be a physical therapist, and I, I drove in and out of Millen, and I remember when uh, Millen was just a prayer. Even before it was a prayer, I remember driving 25 and thinking, man, I would love to see God uh, do something in Connection Church that would influence this whole road. And, um, man, he has. And it's cool to see you guys and see y'all being an answer to prayer. And, and just y'all's heart to reach this community um, is absolutely incredible. I never thought um, somebody would raise up out of Jenkins County to say, man, I want to preach a church there. So, uh, anyway, I was in a small group in Vidalia. Uh, probably it's been probably two and a half, three years ago now. And uh, one of y'all's very own, Jake Daly, we were meeting at his house, and Jake said, hey, I got a special guest uh, that I want you to meet tonight. He's going to come to group and just kind of check it out. Well, uh, Dallas Wilson showed up at our group, and, uh, you know, he came in, and, you know, as he walks, I call him a little Bantam rooster. He kind of walks with his chest poked out a little bit. And so he comes coming in, and Dallas, uh, and he says, man, I, you know, I got a heart for, you know, I'm from Millen. And I said, where? He said, Millen. And uh, anyway, I said, I've driven through there. I know what you're talking about. And, man, our hearts just united. And later on, I met Jeremy, um, and, and our hearts just kind of came together. And it's so cool, no matter where you go to any campus, how the heart of God is there. Um, not only in the preachers, but the people. And, and that's what I love is, is people who have big faith, who want God to do incredible things, um, no matter what it takes. And, and that's what our church is all about. And so uh, Jeremy and Dallas have told me that you guys like to talk back to me, right? So I hope y'all aren't going to uh, put them to shame because they said you guys like to talk, like to be involved, and I'm excited about that because I think the message today um, is, is kind of challenging. So you guys got to keep uh, following me. No, I'm not preaching at y'all. I'm preaching to us, right? And so that's kind of how I roll. I got my own stuff. If you want to hear about that, find me afterwards and I'll tell you. A little bit more about that, but I could not be more excited to preach about what I'm talking about this morning because I believe uh, just riding through um, wherever I came through to get here, coming from Vidalia, um, just church after church after church, and I was just sitting there praying, God, if I could speak one message, God, if, if you, Jesus, could step down back into, uh, into earth, if you could preach one message to the church, I believe what I'm sharing this morning would be the message uh, that he would share with us. And so let me pray for us. And uh, we will jump right in. So, God, again, we just come before you, God, and ask that you would be here with us, God. We are not here to hear a mo motivational speech, God. We're here to meet with you. Uh, God, you say your word's living and active, and it's sharper than a two-edged sword, and it cuts us to the heart. God, as we were reading in our reading plan this morning, God, you say that uh, the condition of our heart matters when we talk through the word of God, Lord. So I just pray for each and every person in this room including myself right now, God, as we dig into your word, God, that we would have uh, the heart of good soul. God, it, it would be willing to receive what you have it, God, that it would uh, not justify or, or do anything else that the enemy would want to come in and do. But God, that we would hear from you this morning. God, we wouldn't just hear from you, but God, it would sink deep down in our hearts and produce fruit. God, we would be different when we left here because of what you've told us. Uh, God, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. So how many of you guys have enjoyed this series, uh, The End of Me, right? It's not a uh, fan favorite series, right? This has been a very challenging uh, series for you guys, even for me as I'm preparing for this. Uh, the teachings of Jesus are tough. Uh, I mean, last week we were talking about Jesus would get all these crowds together and man, he'd have thousands of people following him and he'd turn around and say, hey, if your love for your family doesn't look like hate, you might as well turn around now because you're not going to make it. That's a tough teaching. I mean, if, if, if Jesus was here today and he came up, I'd go sit down and say, Jesus, you got it from here. And he looked at you and said, hey, I need you to hate your, 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 your mom and your dad. If you want to be my disciple, I need you to hate your family. A lot of y'all would probably get up and walk out, including me. I would have that thought process uh, with that. And, and today, um, we're going to look at sort of the same text. But here's the thing I want you guys to understand. There's a great oxymoron. I don't know if y'all know what that means. It's, it's a, there's a great uh, counterintuitive feel to the teachings of Jesus, right? So when you hear this statement that in order to find life, we must first lose our life, your immediate thought, it should be counterintuitive. That should be something that says that doesn't even sound right, right? It doesn't make sense that I would lose my life and you're telling me I would find abundant life through doing that. Logically, it doesn't make sense. But what I'm here to tell you is that the teachings of Jesus are true. And that was his teaching. From He, he never said, hey, uh, hey, come and come attend to service, right? Hey, y'all come gather together and y'all watch one man get up here and speak. Right? That was not the call of Jesus. The call of Jesus was come, die to yourself, and follow me. And he said, listen, it sounds like not what you want to do, but I'm telling you, the life that you're going to find when you do that is going to be abundant. It's going to be the greatest life you'll ever find because you actually find why you were created. Right? To, to a human mind, when we think about it, my mind works like this. God, I'll be happiest when I get to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Right? And that's, that's the essence of sin inside of each one of us, right? So all of us have that. Preacher, not preacher, uh, it doesn't matter. Good person, bad person. Every person has that desire to say, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it, right? Just if you don't believe me, ask your spouse beside you. They'll tell you for you, right? And so we all have that desire. But when Jesus comes, he hits that desire right between the eyes and says, listen, if you want to experience the abundant life that I have for you, you must first be willing to lay that desire down. And when you lay that desire down, I'm going to fill you with my Holy Spirit, and I'm going to show you why you were created. You were created to love me and to live on my mission. And that's why what I want to talk to you guys about this morning is that we cannot follow Christ without laying our life down for the mission of God. Those two things do not coexist, right? Jesus doesn't do one foot in and one foot out. Right, as, Jan as Jeremy would say, he don't play games. Right? God doesn't play games with us. Either we are all in and our whole life is God's or we're not. And here's the thing, it do just doesn't happen one time. I think we surrender to God one time and he begins to work in our life. But I can't tell you, every morning I get up, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Right? I got any takers? This is church. Hey, we can, we can be honest here, right? Every morning I get up and my feet hit the ground. I'm thinking, God, what do I have to do today? And God calls me to get on my knees and say, it's not what you want to do. It's what I want you to do every morning. And he speaks to me through that, and he speaks to me through his word. And so I'm excited. If you got your Bibles, I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 9. And that's where we're going to be today. I want to talk to you a little bit about 
what is going on in Matthew chapter 9. And so uh, it really met the end of Matthew chapter 9, uh, starting in verse 35, all the way through 10 are kind of the same uh, speech, so to, st- uh, so to speak. Uh, the best way to think about it is it's almost like Jesus gathering his disciples together and giving a pregame speech, right? So I know y'all had a good football team this year over at... Uh, at, at Millen, and I talked to somebody from Screven County. I got to witness how good of a football team you guys had this year. So, um, but you know, before a game, a lot of coaches will get in and they give a pregame speech, almost to send you out fired up um, to, to play, right? And so, well, what Jesus was doing in Matthew chapter nine is he was getting ready to send his disciples out, and so he gathered them all together. And this is what he told them. He read this, verse thirty-five. It says Jesus was going through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, that's where the Jewish people met, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness, right? All the, everything we've seen in Matthew, Jesus has come, it's God in the flesh walking through. He's healing people. He's got power over the wind and the waves. I mean, he, he's just doing amazing things. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. I don't like that translation as much as the NASB. It says, because they were distressed and dispirited. It says, like a sheep without a shepherd. So when Jesus would walk into these towns and he would see these people who were, who were, who were walking in sin and they were separated from God who he came to save, he says, listen, when he saw them, he didn't look at them and hate them because they weren't living the way they were supposed to. He looked at them and his first thought was compassion. They're just a sheep that doesn't have a shepherd. They need a shepherd, and I've come to be their shepherd. Listen, uh, he goes on to say in verse 37, then he said to his disciples. So that was kind of the heart of what Jesus was saying. And then he turned to who? He turned to us. He turned to his disciples, and this is what he said to them. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I'm here to tell you today that the greatest need in the kingdom of God is workers. Is workers. The harvest is plentiful. There's people all around you in your life right now that are looking for fulfillment. They're looking for joy. They're looking for life in something that they'll never find it in. And they'll claim to be a Christian. And because they've grown up in church or they got baptized when they were eight or they prayed a prayer when they were there. But when you look at their life, you know they're not flowing with the joy of the Holy Spirit. They don't have the abundant life that Christ has. And what's happened is the greatest spiritual deception in the church today is that we as Christians can follow Jesus and not be a worker. Right? So we can follow Jesus Around And we can say, I'm a disciple of Christ and the mission of God not mean anything to us, right? It's almost like if you think about uh, the way God set up the solar system. I was thinking about this the other day and he put what in the middle? The sun, right? Let's go back to fourth grade here. I know some of y'all, I had to look it up too, so don't act like I'm smart. So the sun's in the middle and all the planets orbit the sun. God designed our life to be the same way. We're not the sun. We're the, we're, the, we're the planets orbiting around it, right? So the sun, Jesus Christ, is in the middle. The mission of God is in the middle, and our life orbits it. It doesn't orbit around our life. 
Does that make sense? But it's way more comfortable when we, like, when we can do what we want to do when we want to do it. And then, hey, when the mission of God is convenient, then I'll, then I'll do something, right? I'll serve in the church. That's fine. It's easy for me. But if I got something else going on, I'm going to do what I want to do. Right? Or if I got to go to a, a workplace and, and uh, it's hard to love somebody that God's called me to reach out to, I'm not going to do it then. But, hey, if it, when it gets convenient, I like so-and-so. They help me out a lot. So I'll be nice to them. Right? That's not the way God wants it to be. He wants us to leverage our life for the mission of God. And so the question I want to ask you today, and then I want to share from the Scripture a few things God put on my heart um, is this, will you be a worker or will you be a bystander, right? A, a better way to think about it is from an athlete's standpoint, are you going to get in the game or are you going to sit on the sideline? Nobody likes sitting on the sideline, right? I, I remember when I was a freshman uh, playing baseball at Vadia High School and we had a great team. Uh, I, I, you know, was, grew up being a pretty good athlete in, in baseball and uh, was always one of the top three guys. I mean, I, I was big, a lot bigger than everybody, so I could hit the ball a lot farther than anybody else. So um, well, when I got to be a freshman, it was like everybody else was way bigger than me. They were way stronger than me. They worked way harder than me. And so all this talent that I'd rode my whole entire life because I was bigger than everybody else, it kind of caught up to me. And I remember when I got on that team as a freshman, uh, I, I barely made the team. I'd never experienced that in my entire life, right? It's Vade, a small town. I mean, if you even can hit a baseball, they put you on the team. So um, anyway, and, and, and so we, we ended up, I ended up sitting on the bench that whole entire year, and it about killed me, right? And so, and then I got to be a sophomore, and I still didn't get to play because whereas I could hit the ball very well, uh, I wasn't as fast as the other guys, or I, I didn't, I wasn't a five-tool guy that could play, right? And so because I was sitting on the bench, I got so frustrated, I quit, Right? Because I hated sitting on the bench. I want you guys, when you leave here today, to say, man, if I'm sitting on the bench, then I might as well not even follow Christ. Because I'm telling you, if you're sitting on the bench, it isn't worth it. Because all the things that God wants to do in your life, he can't do if you're just sitting on the bench. If you're one foot in, one foot out, he can't do it. But I'm telling you, today, if you will begin to go all in with God, and you will say, my number one priority is the mission of God, God will use your life to make eternal impact on other people. An impact so great that when we get to the end and we stand before God and God looks at you and he says, did you do what I called you to do? You'll say, yes, yes, sir. I did because I know what you called me to do. So let's read this together. The first thing I want you to know about this text is I want you to see the heart of God. Verse 36, listen to this. It says, when he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless or distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And so my first question, because I think it's got to start here, is do you have this heart for other people? When you look at Jenkins County, when you look at Millen, when you look at Sylvania, when you look at wherever you live, the places you work, the places you go, when you look at people around you, does any part of your heart break for other people that aren't getting the same joy that you have from a relationship with God? And here's what I'd tell you. If, if your heart does not break for people that are far from God, then you may not have the heart of God, right? And there's no shame in that. I'm not preaching that to say you're not saved or do saved, but here's what I'm saying. We cannot say that we are a Christian and we've been filled with the Holy Spirit if we do not have the heart of God. 
Because Ezekiel 36 tells us when we surrender our life to Christ, the reason Christ went back to heaven so that he could send the Holy Spirit was so that when we surrendered our life to Christ, we would get the mind of Christ, we would get the heart of Christ, we would get the desires of Christ. And so for far too long, the desires in the heart of Christ has not been the center of the church. Right? So this is where we get to churches where churches become cliques and they're more about if somebody comes in that's not like us or has an issue, we don't want them in here because they're ruining our reputation. But the heart of God is to go seek and save, seek and save those who are, who are lost, right? He says, listen, it's not the, the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick. So if, if the church is not going into the community and spending time and asking God to give us a heart for lost people, then what are we doing? God didn't call us to just sit around in a clique and, 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 and watch a person preach and amen them and yell at them like it's awesome and then just sit here and do nothing, right? If you read about the church in scripture, man, it is an amazing thing. You know, the church is the only thing that God gave a promise that said, listen, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't stand against it. He says, listen, I'll build my church. If you'll take your hands off of it and you'll make it centered on Christ, what centered on Christ means is that if it has the heart of God, which we're talking about this morning, listen, there is nothing in this world that can stand against it. I'll grow it. I, you'll see amazing things happen. You'll see all these things, right? And so I know you guys have experienced kind of a, uh, Jeremy, me and him are real close in Dallas. I talk to them all the time. And some of y'all feel like the church has stalled, right? You started off and God was doing some incredible things and now he's, he's stalled back. But here's the thing. When you start something new, people want to come check it out. Right? We, we saw the same thing in Statesboro. We're, we're kind of there right now too, right? It's the new thing, but when you become not the new thing, everybody just kind of does whatever. That's fine. God's not called us to be the new thing where people just come check it out because things are happening. God's called us to be a group of people on the mission of God. The best way to think about it is all the low-hanging fruit, so to speak, in milling, y'all kind of already grabbed it, right? So now... We got to be workers. So we got to go back into our lives, into our places of work, into our places where we hang out, the group of people that, that are kind of tough to talk about Jesus with. And we got to see that as an opportunity to show them the heart of God. Right? So here's another way to think about it. We can't hate the people that God's called us to reach. You understand that? So the, the people around us that kind of get on our nerves that, that are claiming to be a Christian, but they, they're really not living like a Christian, and you know they probably don't have a relationship with God. They don't come to church. They don't read their Bible. Uh, the heart of God is just not in them. And so what's happened for the longest time is if we see them at a ball game and they're sitting beside us and they're cussing, it's like, hey, man, we can't take that. So we're the sin police, Right? So we come in, somebody's drinking at a party that we're at, and it's like, man, he ought not do that. I don't want to see him doing that. I just, he ought not do that. And so what we do is we expect lost people to act saved. And so what we're doing is we, we, we give away the heart of God and we begin thinking like the religious people in the Bible that God got mad at. 
And so instead of building relationships with people who are far from God, we separate ourselves from the people from the people who are far from God. We get in our little religious clique, and we don't want to. We don't. We're, we're comfortable there, right? It's like a you know the guy on uh, little giants that comes with the like suit on, right? So he won't get hurt. So we just get in this big bubble, our Christian little bubble. We're comfortable here. Everything's great, and and, and we just step away from the mission of God. But I'm telling you, church, that's not who God's called us to be. Because when he comes back, the question he's going to ask is, did you do what I told you to do? And he told you to go seek and save those who are lost. And he told you not to just do it when it was convenient, but to leverage your life every day, every second for the mission of God. The second point I want you to write down is this. The first one is the heart of God. What is the heart of God? It's compassion. I think one thing before I move from there, because I think I just need to say this, I know Jeremy has encouraged me more about praying than probably anybody that I've ever met in my entire life. I mean, every time we have an issue, it's like, Jeremy, I just want to solve the issue. We need to pray. I'm like, all right, yeah, we need to pray. Why don't I think about that? You know, and, he, and so over and over again, you ask the question, well, how do you know if you have the heart of God? How do I know if I have the heart of God? You look at what you're praying for. Because there's nothing that reveals your heart more than what you're praying for. The way I always tell my folks in Badea is if every person that you prayed for last week got saved, if God answered every prayer that you prayed for last week, how many new believers would there be in the kingdom of God? I don't say that to step on your toes and convict you. I say that to say, where is your heart? Because here's the thing, we can't love Jesus and not become more like him. The second point is this, the call of a disciple the call of a disciple is this, and I believe again, and I've said this over and over again, but the greatest spiritual deception in the church today is that there's a separation from the mission of God and the church, right? So it's like the one thing God called us to do, which is go make disciples of all nations, it's like we've separated that out and said, well, that's for the missionaries, that's for the preachers. That's for the other people. We don't, we don't do that. That ain't for everybody. No. Literally, God formed the church for the mission of God. Right? So you realize this. The church didn't form for you, so to speak. Right? The church is not necessarily about a great service. It's not about uh, you uh, loving the music or loving the preaching or, or doing, you know, building a great building or any of those things. Even in the book of Acts, what existed first? The people or the mission of God. Right? The church doesn't come along until... Uh, a couple chapters later in Acts, once the mission of God had been given. So the church formed for the mission of God, not the opposite way around. And so for us to take the mission of God out of the center of the church is literally to cut its feet out from under it, right? And so we notice this tendency all the time, right? So uh, as you guys settle in, y'all are a year behind us. And so I've seen this even in Bidelia is it almost becomes, church becomes normal, right? This type of church, you know, it's uh, new, young, spry, you know, it's got the people up there singing, a lot of young people want to be here, uh, the preacher's super energetic, all the newness kind of wears off, right? And so at that point, what happens is people start to chit-chat, right? Man, I think we need to do this, man. Billy just don't preach like he used to preach, or golly, have you seen so-and-so has been coming to church? Man, you need to protect the church from him. I don't know, he's got crazy stuff, you know, and so what chit-chat just starts to happen about the church. And so what happens is the voices inside the church become louder than the voices outside the church. 
So instead of, and it's, it's, it's just like Satan to do this. Because if he can get y'all focused on each other or focused on something other than the mission of God, he's got you right where he wants you to be. Right? Because all the people in Jenkins County and Sylvania that are lost and dying and going to hell, we're not focused on them anymore. We're more focused on what's going on in the church. And so it just so happens when we begin to put the mission of God in the center that the church just starts to walk in the way that it should walk. And so a lot of times we try to solve all these little minor issues when God's like, if you just put the mission back at the center, it'll work the way it's supposed to work. So what is the mission is the question that we got to ask. Because here's the thing, to follow Jesus is to live on mission. Like you cannot separate those two things. Just like you can't separate the church from the mission, literally to follow Jesus is to live on the mission of God. Nowhere in scripture do you see the call of Jesus not require you to leverage your life for the mission of God. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Therefore you will receive power from the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Acts 1, I'll get Dallas on the scripture memorization for y'all. Um, I'm just joking. Y'all don't have to do that. Um, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them. So over and over again, you see the call of God is always follow me and go, right? If, think about it. If we follow Jesus, then we have to, our life has to look like his. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you read about Jesus, what was Jesus continually doing? He lived his life on the mission, period, right? Number one priority in his life, the mission of God, pleasing the Father, completing the Father's work. He says it over and over again. So what is this mission? And I wanted to read Matthew 10, but it's so long. If y'all are anything like my folks in Vidaea, long scriptures, I mean, I look up and they're baffled. So I'm going to bounce to Matthew 28, which is kind of a concise version of what, what Jesus says in Matthew uh, chapter 10. And so Matthew 28, uh, verses 16 uh, through 20. You may have to turn there because I didn't update my folks on the computer. Uh, sorry. Many of you probably know it. Listen to this. So Jesus gets to the end of his life and he's got his disciples. He's about to go to heaven, and he leaves them one thing. He says, listen, this is what I want for your life. We call it the Great Commission. It says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So the guys already died, raised from the dead. Some people are still doubting. I mean, come on. Verse 18, Then Jesus came to them and said, talking to his disciples, All authority on heaven and earth have, has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Listen to this. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. So a lot of people probably taught you that before, but here's what I want you to pick out. Uh, Jesus says something before the Great Commission and something after the Great Commission. And those two things are very important. He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Right? So he's about to send you out to go live on the mission and leverage your life for the mission. Why would he say, why would he remind you of the truth that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me? Because he knows that there's some fear behind this. Right? I know some of you guys are thinking, Billy, I want to live on the mission, but I just don't know enough. Right? I want to live on the mission, but that's scary. That's not comfortable for me to do that. And here's what God wants you to know. He's got this thing rigged. 
He's put eternity in every person's heart. You have the message that every person in this world is looking for. So here's the thing. You don't have to go argue anybody into Jesus. You don't have to preach a five-point sermon or a three-point sermon or give this crazy, awesome illustration to convince somebody to to follow Jesus because you can convince them too. Somebody else can convince them out of it. He says, listen, if you'll open your eyes, I'm already working around you. You just got to be looking. Where am I working? Who am I moving on? And what you'll figure out is sometimes the things that happen in people's lives that kind of get them to a point where they know there's got to be something more than what they're experiencing, it's actually God trying to knock on the door of their heart. And he's, he only knocks on the door. He sends us to do the rest, right? Because that's the point of making disciples, and that's what God wants us to do. And so we have to constantly be looking for people. And so he wants you to know he's got this thing rigged. Every person around you wants, we have the message that they want. And then he closes it with, listen, What does he say at the very end? He says, listen, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So why would he give the promise that he's not going to leave us nor forsake us, that he'll be with us all the way to the very end? Because he knows it's not going to be easy. Because he knows when we live on the mission of God, we're constantly going to have to be dependent on God. If you read Matthew 10 and how he sent his disciples out, he tells them, hey, y'all don't take anything with you. I got everything you need. Don't take a food. Don't take shoes. Don't take a jacket. Don't take nothing. Because here's what I want to show you is if you'll live on the mission of God, I'll give you everything you need to accomplish it. But here's the thing. Most of us don't have everything we need because we're not living on the mission of God, right? We're trying to pack our suitcase. When Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead, you go. I'll give it to you as you go. Don't worry about what you're going to say when you get in the situation. You make sure your heart's right, and I'll give you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say. How many of us want to live our lives that way? That's scary, right? I want to be prepared. I want to know, man, if I'm going to meet with somebody and they're struggling with this, I want to call Dallas. I want to call Jeremy and say, man, hey, have you ever dealt with somebody who's doing this? This is crazy. I've never dealt with this before. What what do you want me to do? How do I talk to somebody who's dealt with this? He says, listen. Don't worry about it. I'll give you what you need because here's the honest truth. Dallas and Jeremy may think y'all think we're we're a lot smarter than we are. We're really not that smart because every issue literally gets back to one thing. Your marriage is falling apart. Jesus is probably not in the center of it, right? Your, Your kids are running off, then you're probably not modeling Jesus for them, right? You're, you're struggling with communication with people. You probably don't have the heart of Christ, Right? You, you lost your job. God's in control. Do you trust him? Same answer every time, right? That's why y'all get mad when y'all come see us for counseling. Maybe that's why I'm not a counselor because I just make it super simple, right? So um, anyway, so that's what Jesus wants us to know is that that, that bookends of the, of the Great Commission are, listen, I got this thing rigged. Depend on me. I'm not going to leave you. I got this for you. And then he tells us, how do we make a disciple? Right? If, if, if this is the one thing that God's called us to do, we need to know how to do this. If we don't know how to do anything else in the church, we need to know how to make a disciple. We got to know, right? So what does it say in there? I want you to, if you got a pen, you got your Bible, it says, therefore, go. I want you to circle go. <clears throat> you can highlight it on your phone. I won't yell at you. You can do whatever you got to do, but I want you to get this. Go. Make disciples. I want you to underline that. Don't circle it. I want you to underline it. 
baptizing them. I want you to circle baptizing. And then I want you to circle teach to obey. So we're underlining make disciples of all nations. We're circling go. We're circling baptizing. We're circling teaching, right? Because here's the thing. That verb, make disciples, is the point of the verse. Inside of that, there's some verbs that support what make disciples is. The first one is go. How do we make a disciple? The first thing we got to do is we got to live sent. We have to go. We have to, uh, that literal translation is as you go. So God doesn't want you to just pick a random place and go. Some, he may be calling some of us to go to different places, but as of right now, you live in Millen or Sylvania or Jenkins County in some capacity. So you're here. You already have a life. You're already doing certain things. You work certain places. Your kids are playing ball, so you hang out at the ball field. You're already in certain places. So Jesus says, listen, as you go and do all these normal life activities that you do, I want you to go with an intention to look for me working in people's lives so that I, you can begin to step in and build relationships with people, right? So here's the thing. God's greatest two commandments, love God and love others. Are you loving others where you are? Are you intentionally investing in people, not just so that they'll get saved, but because God's called you to love other people, right? I don't know where we went wrong with this either, right? The church should be a friendly group of people, right? We shouldn't be sitting on the front row. If somebody comes and takes our seat, be like, no, son, I've been sitting here for 48 years. <laughs> right? So we should be looking, we should be living as we go, our eyes open for people in the gym, at the ball field, at school, wherever we work, at church. Are we looking for people to begin to build relationships with? Are we hanging out with the same group of people we've been hanging out with our entire life? We have to ask ourselves those questions. The first thing we've got to do is go. The second thing is we have to baptize. What does that mean? Baptism, as Dallas was talking about, that's the step we take after salvation. So here's what I take it to mean. We got to do whatever it takes to get these people to Jesus. I love the story in the Gospels where, uh, probably because I'm kind of a redneck, and um, that's why me and Jake hit it off, right? Mill and I, I know y'all feel me over here. So um, the, there's these guys in Scripture where their friend is paralyzed, and, and he needs to be healed, and they've heard Jesus can heal him. They just got to get him to Jesus, right? So, but there's a huge crowd around the house. So they can't walk through the crowd and get him through. They're, I mean, they're trying to carry the guy, but they just can't get him through. So Leroy says, hey, jump on the roof. I got my chainsaw. Let's cut this baby open. We'll lower him in there, and we'll get him in front of Jesus. And he got healed, right? It's the same thing. They were willing to sit back and say, man, whatever I got to do to get him to Jesus, that's what I'm going to do. So here's the question I'm asking you. Who in your life has God put there for you to get them to Jesus that you just kind of backed out because it's been easy? Right? Because, hey, it's, it's hard. I can't do this. If it was easier, Jesus, I could use me. But here's the thing. If loving lost people was easy, then everybody would be doing it. There's a reason the church has almost become a holy huddle. Because when you get out there, there's opposition. People talk about you. People look at you and start talking crazy, right? They, they, they say hurtful things to you. But they should say hurtful things to you because they don't have the heart of God. So that's not a reason for you to give up. Because listen, you may be the only Jesus that they ever see. Why do people walk away from the church most of the time? Because somebody in the church hurt them. Because somebody in the church stooped to their level and tried to get back at them for something that they should be doing. 
We have to love people recklessly, relentlessly, the same way we sing about every Sunday. The last thing is we got to teach them to obey. What does that mean? That means we can't just go and invest and build a relationship with them, get them to Jesus, tap them on the butt and say, you got it from here, buddy. No, that's what the church is about, is walking alongside of people, inviting them into the family. That's what the church is about. That's what our church is about, connect groups. What are they for? It's so that when God does something in somebody's life, you can say, dude, I want you to come be a part of our family. Listen, you got to see this. There's a bunch of other guys that are, we're just as messed up as you are. But listen, we're trying to work this thing out. We're trying to figure out what it looks like to pursue God in a world that's not. And we want you in our family. That's what the church is about. That's what it looks like to make a disciple. Discipleship is all about meeting people where they are and getting them to where Jesus wants them to be. Period. That's it. Don't overcomplicate it. Listen, there's a reason Jesus called fishermen and tax collectors and the nobodies to himself to do it. It's not complicated, right? But what happens is Satan just twists us and he gets us so busy and so focused on other things that we miss the one thing that God has called us to do. The last point is, here's the guarantee. The guarantee is that if you'll begin to live on this mission, you'll experience the abundant life that God has for you. But if you continue, and I'm not saying you are, but I can tell, if we continue to just think inward and we don't begin to embrace the mission and ask God, who is it in my life that you've called me to invest in? Then you give up the blessing of the abundant life that God has for you. I'm telling you, I know this in my own life. When Kate and I decided we were moving from Statesboro to Vidalia, we weren't fired up. We weren't that fired up about it. It was different than Jeremy and Dallas, right? They were here. They were just ready to go. We were in Statesboro. We were comfortable there. Her parents were there. We didn't have to pay for anything. We had a house we didn't have to pay for. Uh, the places to eat there were better, um, which is a huge priority for me, as you can tell. Um, and, and, and so, but I knew God was doing something in my heart. And so when I had the conversation with Kate, I just said, Kate, I feel like the Lord's wanting us to, to do this. I just, there's too many things happening that he's confirming we're supposed to go back. Too many of my friends are calling me asking for a church that they can grow in and they don't even like Jesus. So I don't know what's happening. God's got to be doing something. And so, um, and she said, I don't know what's been taking you so long. God's told me that a long time ago. And I said, well, thank you. What in the world are you doing? Like, you don't want to tell me this? Um, but the thing about it is, is since we've done that and since we put our yes on the table and say, God, whatever, whenever, we don't, we don't know. Like I, I literally get up every morning and I'm doing something I've never done before. But my yes is on the table. God, whatever you want from me, I, I'm willing to do it because I know you're better. You're better than money. You're better than comfort. You're better than anything this world could offer me that I think is better. And I'm telling you, if you'll wake up every morning of your life cast off that. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And you'll put your yes on the table and say, Jesus, whatever, whenever, I'm willing. The abundant life of God will fill your life. You may not be happy all the time, but you'll have a joy and a peace that you've never had before. So I just want you to close your eyes right where you're at. And I just want you to get honest before God. I, I don't know you that well. You don't know me. Y'all probably think this guy's an idiot, but Here's the thing I know. God specializes in meeting people exactly where they're at. I don't know exactly where you're at right now, but I know God knows. And when, you, when it comes to the mission of God, 
Are you leveraging your life for the mission of God? Is the mission of God the number one priority for you? And I know we all struggle. I'm not not saying that. But here's the thing I know. There's probably people that God's bringing to your mind right now that you need to begin to invest in, that you need to begin to pray for, that you need to begin to love on. And through that, God's going to do some incredible things. The second question is maybe you're in here and you've never surrendered your life to Christ. And you say, Billy, I don't live on the mission because I don't have a relationship with God. Well, that's great. I'm glad you're here. But I'm telling you, today's the day that you need to surrender your life to Christ and find the fulfillment and the joy and the hope that God created you to find. Maybe you've been looking for it in all kinds of different places, but today God's speaking to your heart. If that's you and you say, Billy, I want a relationship with God. I don't have one and I want one. And I want to surrender my life to Christ this morning. I just want you to lift your hand. Is that anybody in here? I just want to pray for you. And for the rest of us, as we sing this last song, I'm going to ask the band to come back up. I, I just want you to think about two questions. Is the mission of God the priority of my life? Is it the priority, not a priority, not part of your life, but is it the priority? I want you to think about that. I want you to ask God, maybe God's calling you to come and pray for somebody that you know isn't saved, that you know you have influence with. I don't know what God's putting on your heart, but I want to give you the freedom to respond. As you do that, I'm going to pray for us as we sing this, before we sing this last song. So God, thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for the opportunity to come and share. God, I thank you for what you've done in and through my life because I'm willing to embrace the mission of God. God, I'm not perfect. You know that. God, nobody in here is perfect, God, but we love you. So God, I just pray that you would do something in our hearts this morning that only you can take credit for. God, would you give us your heart for people? God, will we be a people that when we scatter throughout Jenkins County, Screven County, God, that we would be a people that reflect you, not a people that hate lost people, not a people that, God, just a people that love people relentlessly. And God, a people that they look at and they see an accurate picture of you. So God, I just ask that you do a work in our hearts this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name.